BDFM. Welcome to BDFM. My name is D. I am B. And uh, we're gonna hear. We're here to talk about pop culture, te- television, science, technology, art, religion, um, boning. <laughs> we got yeah. We, we have a lot of interesting things to talk about. I think because we're sort of in a transitory period. The two of us are um, looking at moving, and we're looking at places. Yeah. And um, I think we're gonna watch some TV shows around mm-hmm. that theme to yes give us guidance. The theme, perhaps of transitioning between different states of being we're going to another state (laughs) so without further ado my episode this week is something that i think will be relevant to us and it's one of the best sitcoms that just got canceled early nobody really watched it it was critically acclaimed but it didn't get a lot of audience and it's fucking great it's called (laughs) don't trust the bee in apartment 23 Kristen ritter before Breaking Bad, I think. Who else? Is er- Eric Andre is in it. Mookie Blakelock. Dreama Walker. I don't know if she's been in anything else. The the, the lead is uh, Dreama Walker. Hmm. She's very funny. And, of course, Dawson himself. Mm-hmm. James Vanderbeek as himself. So funny. And this one's called Season 1, Episode 5, Making Rent. We're going to see how uh, Dreama Walker makes rent and we'll make inspir- take inspiration from that. Mm-hmm. And the episode that I have chosen today is Season 3, Episode 4 of the show Community, Remedial Chaos Theory. It's the one where Jeff creates six different timelines. By rolling a die. One of the sort of just uh, most memorable... I mean, it's <laughs> Community is a sitcom, but it's almost a sci-fi show, you know? And And also, this show sort of sprouts these other universes that they play with later in the series yeah and you can kind of argue that this episode sprouts rick and morty they say timelines a lot i think this is one of the first yeah you know we i think you know in pop culture we talk about timelines a lot now but i think it kind of came from this episode of community that brought it into public sort of imagination the concept of the darkest timeline you know you know that phrase is Straight from this episode. And it's been used a lot, especially because of the pandemic and Trump and stuff. Mm-hmm. Wait, what year is that episode? 2011. Wow. Gosh, was it 12 years ago, Community? Wow. And uh, my episode's from 2012, by the way. So ah. so almost twinsies. 10 years removed, maybe uh, we're going to be able to, to have some thoughts about the 2010s as a decade. It's interesting to think yeah. about. Seems like... Just the yesterday. tens as a decade hasn't really been evaluated yet, right? I think it takes some time because right. in 2001, we didn't talk about the 90s of course. so much. Of course. You know, it's interesting to look at the Obama years up to the last pre-pandemic year. Like, as a decade, whew, <laughs> it's, um, as a decade, it is the definition of what we now call the before times, which is a direct reference to a Star Trek, Star Trek original uh, yeah, series so episode, which um, we we're going to review next week. Calling it that, but I know. Oh, we do we get to do Star Trek next week? I'd love to do that episode just to interrogate. Like, I don't know which one that is, but I want to do the um, 
the double Rikers episode of Oh yeah. TNG. Okay, I know you're anyway. yelling you're yelling at your at your podcast app right now. The inner light. Tell him the inner light. Let's we'll ha- we'll watch the inner Is light. Is that the before times one? No, it's uh it's just a really, really good Picard episode. Oh. It's like so good. So yeah, besides um that stuff and timelines and moving, we also a couple weeks ago we did a little preamble. Here's here's a little trade secret. A few minutes ago, we did a preamble <laughs> for an episode that came out a few weeks ago where we watched Rick and Morty. And we had watched Rick and Morty before Justin Roiland got fired and all the crazy shit came out about him. Now it's after. <laughs> that was the before times in yeah. terms of uh, mm-hmm. Rick and Morty. Now it's the after times. Um, he has been fired and um, we've lost. I've uh, lost respect for him. So anyway, I I like this community episode because it was written by Megan Gans, who's a, an incredible writer. I think she's on It's Always Sunny now, but she did Community, I think maybe 30 Rock, like one of the best writers in Hollywood, but who also had sort of a um, cancellation moment with uh, Dan Harmon, uh, where it came out that he was sort of being harassing of her. But then she was able to forgive him at least she says and uh they've semi made up so it it's interesting the paths that these things take the different you know possible timelines where people fuck up and then you know we as fans have to say okay <laughs> they fucked up do i forgive them or am i still a fan right i do want to i want to say up top in case this gets buried by you the audience just turning it off but Although I, although I would not venture to say that Dan Harmon, you know, doesn't deserve uh, any of the praise for this specific episode of Community, which is like a banger episode. And it's one that Dan gets a lot of praise for because it's the episode of Community. We're going to get into how he and Megan Gans had a conversation that he said sprouted the seeds of like this episode. Right. But the way I read it, Dan texted Megan, hey, I want to do Run Lola Run. Mm-hmm. And then Megan came back with some suggestions. Ran away with it. She ran away with it, and you can sort of see in the text that I, I, I think she really hit the nugget of what the episode fact, became. Yeah. Um, and I, I'm not saying that it wasn't a collaboration. Obviously, they both did it together, but I th- really think that it deserves another look. And if that's your favorite episode of Community, then you should look at other shows that Megan Gans has written on and maybe watch some of her other episodes. Yeah. Uh, f- maybe follow her instead of Dan. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah, I still think Dan you know, is, is a is a very um, brilliant writer. Okay, we will. Um, in, there's a text thread where they are talking about breaking this episode, and it's fant- fascinating. We'll we'll get yeah. to that after. Okay, so right now we are going to go rewatch those episodes, and we're going to record ourselves watching them and post it on Patreon if you want to listen. Uh, you can watch the episode along with us or uh, on Garage TV. That's G-R-A-G-E dot TV. You can become a subscriber and watch our um, BTSs where we, wa- we wa- watch shows. But if you don't do that, just keep listening and we'll be right back and we're going to recap what we just watched. Don't Trust to Be in Apartment 23, Season 1, Episode 5, and Community. Season 3, Episode 4. We'll be right back. Does this sound like you? Then you're a fucking cat. Go to youreafuckingcat.com for more.
BDFM. BDFM. We're back. We're back. We've just watched some TV. Back in the saddle again. Back we in the sack. Um, <laughs> we should do this podcast from the sack. Okay. okay we no. just watched two episodes of two different shows, both really good. Mm-hmm. Don't Trust the Bee in Apartment 23, Season 1, Episode 5, Making Rent. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not the best episode of this show. We we got to do more of this show because it's <laughs> so good. It's very funny, though. It's a very funny episode. But it gets, that show gets better. This was 2012, 11, maybe, 12. It was... It died before its time, before six seasons in a movie. Mm-hmm. And then we watched Community. Mm-hmm. Six timelines in a movie, as it were. Mm-hmm. This is uh, season three, episode four, Remedial Chaos Theory. In a way, the central episode of Community. Yeah. It kind of defines sort of a lot of... The heart I mean, and soul. Community's known for it, its homages. It I would sort say. of branches out like a something that they get to play with for the rest of the series, basically. Yeah, definitely. It kind of explodes the show into a, like a kaleidoscope of stories in, yeah. a, in a way. And also, it's probably one of, I mean, I'd say it's one of the few like all-time great community episodes that you can't trace to being a direct parody of anything. Although we will discuss that it's the seed of it came from Dan Harmon watching Clearly, Run Lola Run. My first thought was it's a Run Lola Run reference. <laughs> yeah, it's um, not. It does not. It seem started to be. that way, and and you can I can see why it is like that. Anyway, um, yeah. let's do our uh, some recaps and a lot of stuff that we want to talk about. Okay, great. I'm gonna recap. Don't trust the bee. First of all, I wish it was. Don't trust the bee in apartment 26 because because it yeah. should rhyme with bitch instead of bee. Yeah. Don't trust the bitch in apartment 26. Seems like a better name to me. <laughs> um, just because it annoys me when when shows put dash, dash, dash to take out a curse word. Mm-hmm. Just say bitch, man. Um, this show is great, though. Uh, it's uh, Kristen Ritter. It's uh, Dreama Walker. It's Eric Andre. Michael, quote, unquote, Mookie Blakelock. So it starts with... Um, June needs to make rent. Uh, her roommate, Chloe, played by Kristen Ritter, is scamming some other roommates. She's got a whole oh, yeah. bunch of scams going on. And June is like, no, it's wrong. So June starts making strawberry jam, which is everybody loves and delicious. Mm-hmm. And Chloe jumps on board to help her make the jam. Mm-hmm. And so they do this hilarious montage basically just mocking the <laughs> <laughs> mocking the sitcom where this would actually happen and it would pay off you know <laughs> sure it's almost like a partridge family thing like we're gonna make jam and dun, 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 yeah it's, dun. it's very wholesome and they're throwing strawberries at each other in a very fun light-hearted way meanwhile james uh vanderbeek played by james vanderbeek as james vanderbeek is starting a uh, tight jeans uh, company because he's <laughs> going to be on Dancing with the Stars, so he decides to launch his jean company. And the jeans are so tight he can barely walk. That's a great beat story. Back in the main story, well, June's still trying to sell jam, but then it comes to her attention that Chloe has just been recording them making jam and selling it on a fetish site <laughs> as no one can resist my jam and June's. Jam. No one can resist my 
hot, hot jams. Oh, the neighbor, Eli, played by Mookie Blakelock, is... Does he go by Mookie? Surveilling. He's listed, That's as, his, Mi- he's listed yeah, as Michael yeah. everywhere. Just his, his real name is Michael, but the, okay. he goes by Mookie. Oh, um, wow. Okay. He is surveilling June and Chloe's house uh, with Chloe's permission. They don't even know what Eli does for a living, and so he walks into to this coffee shop where June and Eric Andre are trying to sell the jam, mm-hmm. and he says, I'm the health inspector. And June's like, no, you're not. <laughs> you're the creepy neighbor. And he's like, no, I really am the health inspector. <laughs> oh my God. And so he confiscates all the jam, which pays okay. off later in him just taking a bath in all the jam oh. in a, an extremely creepy way. Chloe finds out there's a trial period on the fetish site, so they're not going to make any money for 55 days. So that thing is out. So then uh, June hatches a scheme to sell access to Chloe, or her, her, basically her stalker. Robin, um, who's played by Liza Lapira. Uh, she's so funny. So Robin is giving them money for access to Chloe. Like, in a note, says stuff like, when Chloe's passed out on the couch, Robin comes in and watches X-Files, and it says, $500, watch X-Files with my best friend. So it's all stuff like that. June is conflicted, and then... Chloe finds out in the in the climactic final scene. Chloe finds out and she doesn't care, and June's like, "Well, I, I did wrong." And she's like, "Did you? I don't care, and nobody else cares." And oh, you made this girl happy. You're like Mother Teresa, <laughs> and she's like, "Oh, okay." And then Chloe reveals that she loosened, <laughs> that her idea for getting money was loosening the screws on the banister on the <laughs> second floor of James Vanderbeek's apartment where they are at this party she was going to (laughs) fall and sue james and get a bunch of money even though (laughs) he's her best friend instead robin the stalker runs upstairs and starts giving a toast to chloe for which she has paid june Uh to give this speech anyway robin falls she hurts herself but it's kind of like a not badly it's just sort of a comedy fall and then the final scene is eli swimming or (laughs) taking a bath in jam Super funny episode. Yeah. Don't trust the bee. Mm-hmm. Great series. We got to go back to it. This is fun. I've never really watched it and I would like to watch more of it. All right. Now we've got a recap you community. Ready? I have so much to say and I'm going to try not to interrupt you too much, but I might a little bit. <laughs> well, I mean, to recap it as briefly as possible, this is the episode where Troy and Abed have a housewarming party because they've moved in together and they've ordered pizza. So everyone's sitting around the table when the the pizza arrives. Jeff decides because uh, they all quickly put their fingers to their noses in their in their group signal for not it. It's a seven way tie. It's a seven way tie, which kind of shows how connected they are. Exactly. Uh, so Jeff goes, okay. He t- he picks up a die. He rolls the die, and one of them leaves to go get the pizza. And then we reverse in time and show the sequence beginning again. And a different choice is made. So Jeff rolls the die six times. And uh, in these little mini sequences that are repeated, but that are, you know, they share all of these elements, but the elements show up differently in every version of the little story. So they're sort of little mini universes, parallel timelines. Uh, Okay. Starting on my left with one, your number comes up, you go. Just so you know, Jeff, you are now creating six different timelines. Of course I am, Abed. Every time someone leaves the apartment. There's a series of little MacGuffins, each one, and it's like, 
Roxanne starts playing. Mm-hmm. Jeff hits his head on a f- ceiling fan. Britta goes to smoke weed. Pierce tells the Eartha Kitt story. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shirley has to go get her pies before Shirley's they burn. Baking pies. Abed has a Indiana Jones boulder that keeps falling, and there's a troll doll that Pierce has that scares Troy. Yeah, exactly. So those, whatever six or seven things happen each timeline. Yes, in but different way. They happen in in different ways based on who's out of the room at the moment. Everyone's absence has a, an effect on the, the mechanics the of, the, dynamic, of the story. Yeah. And as I will get into, I promise, first of all, I believe community is entirely happening inside Abed's <laughs> uh, framework, at least. We're s- you know, he's creating the sitcom. In this episode, I really believe that we're seeing Abed's conception of what would happen if each person were to leave the group. And if you look at it from that framework, which I was during this watch, it holds up really beautifully. So I'll get into that. So the sequence runs itself, you know, six times or whatever. And the seventh time we see it, uh, instead of the die falling and dictating who's going to leave the room, Abed catches it. And he says, I don't think you should be creating these six different timelines. Chaos already dominates enough of our lives. The universe is an endless, raging sea of randomness. Our job isn't to fight it, but to weather it together on the raft of life. A raft held together by those few, rare, beautiful things that we know to be predictable. Ropes? So in this, what we call the prime timeline, mm-hmm. Abed stops the chaos. He points out Jeff's deception. Yeah. And it turns out great because when Jeff leaves, they start singing and dancing and having a great time. Notably, the worst timeline, the darkest timeline, is the one where Troy leaves. And yes. he says, don't do anything. I don't want to miss anything. And he tries to go as fast as possible. And yes. everything, all the shit hits a fan. Everything goes and bad. And trips. The, uh, the ball, the Indiana Jones ball rolls down and he slips on it. She accidentally shoots Pierce. She has a, well, we, they did set up in an early timeline that she has a gun in her purse. Yeah. That gun goes off, shoots Pierce in the leg. And it, Britta ends up starting the fire and, and uh. So, so <laughs> Pierce dies. Annie goes to a mental asylum. Uh, Shirley becomes a drunk. Jeff loses an arm. Mm-hmm. And in this timeline, the, the, the finale of the, the, the last scene of this episode is Abed in the darkest timeline knowing that it's the darkest timeline and committing to it by putting on a felt goatee <laughs> and then Troy everyone else thinks he's is mad at him but except for Troy who's totally on board and puts on the goatee and they're like evil Troy and evil Abed you know it's a very meta show and they're very clear about the fact that Abed in the pilot intentionally sets up the study group to go along with tropes that he's sort of learned from TV and from movies about college, he mm. says he's going to set up sort of a breakfast club type of situation. So he picks he picks a jock and a nerd. He he is pulling the, the strings of the entire series, and and they really thread this line. Of course, you can believe that there's literally other timelines, but we can get into many worlds theory. I don't think that it truly holds water, but it is a serious theory of quantum physics that random events cause timelines to split off. But the the series toes this line where where it, it kind of 
believes in it, but it also makes it plausible that Abed is just imagining everything. Mm -hmm. But you, I think you, you clued into what it's really about, which is the friend dynamics of the group and who was stifling energy and who was creating different types of energy mm -hmm. and what it was like when they were to leave. In the first timeline, Annie leaves. Mm -hmm. The gun is revealed for the first time. Yep. But also with Annie gone, there's no one there to comfort Jeff when he hurts himself, which is one of Annie's roles within the group as a caretaker specifically to Jeff. And in the second timeline, Shirley leaves. We see the troll for the first time. The pies burn. A little darker. Mm -hmm. The pies burn, which I think signifies that there's no one there to feed the group. Abed is not against Shirley baking. He's he's like, he's fine with her feeding him. He he definitely sees Shirley as a as a caring mother figure, and they have a bond. And also, without Shirley there, the group is sort of over-sexualized. They all have a, they have a the bit where they all um, like kind of make googly eyes at each other, and and they're all sort of a little more flirtatious mm. and also a little more contentious. When Pierce leaves, Annie and Jeff tease Troy instead. Troy sort of becomes a scapegoat without Pierce in the room. Oh, right. Troy then bonds with Britta in the bathroom, and they sort of have a newfound kind of interest in each other, and they are the two who are happiest without Pierce being around. And they'll go on to date later. In the timeline where Britta leaves, nobody sings Roxanne, so everyone just kind of sits around quietly and then Troy says, you guys are my best friends. <laughs> Jeff yeah. goes, I'm getting a drink. So Abed says, Britta's kind of a wild card from my perspective. Yeah. And she injects a randomness at, at, at intervals into the group. You know, she kind of comes with crazy schemes sometimes or she gets mad about random stuff. And but she just has the, the, the most innocent, vibrant energy in this one. That's just, true. She's she just kind of positive. She's and she's at she's a party. She wants to get high and she's getting she's, hang out. she's getting high in the bathroom. Unfortunately, I would believe that this group would probably all get high, but you know, whatever. It the was. A they different couldn't time. really show that on TV ten years ago. That's true. In when Britta is gone, Jeff goes for Annie romantically, and they make out, and they make out, and Britta immediately goes off the rails. Without the group, she immediately finds someone else and starts oh, this codependent okay. relationship right away with a stoner oh, with, guy with the pizza guy um which i think is uh, which i think is abed's little sort of judgment that like the group is the only thing holding britta's life together then troy leaves that's the worst timeline of course the and we know that oh this is something i think is interesting the indiana jones thing it falls the indiana jones ball falls in this one abed's the one to stop it in some of the other timelines when it, it accidentally mm. starts to fall and he stops it in this one, it just falls. And I kind of think that's, like, given Abed's age and Abed's obsession with movies, I would say that, as it does for me, that ball symbolizes a very primal fear of one of the first things I saw in a movie that truly scared the hell out of me. That rolling ball. That ball is going to get... It's so big. It's a huge ball. Anyway, as soon as Troy leaves... It's just this like unstoppable movement towards the absolute worst things that could ever happen. Mm -hmm. Abed's Abed's whole imagination of the worst things is just let loose. So that's the darkest yeah, timeline. That's the darkest timeline. Then Abed leaves. When Abed leaves, nobody goes to the bathroom to interrupt Britta. So she goes to Shirley and starts eating the pies. And then she fucks up the that situation with Shirley by telling her 
oh, I forgot I wasn't supposed to eat your pies. Oh, I'm really high. And Shirley gets really mad and judgmental at her. Troy tries to talk to Pierce. Pierce tries to apologize, but they end up having a horrible fight because Pierce is gifting him this troll, <laughs> which mm. he really hates and does not want. So what um, do we take from that? As Abed imagines them, they would all just be at each other's throats if he was gone. Yeah, I think that's true. He also sees Jeff and Annie having this kiss that's not really romantic, and everybody is hurt in the end. Like, every single person has hurt feelings or is kind of upset. But what Abed also doesn't really care. wonder what happened in all the other timelines. And finally, the one where Jeff leaves, and he doesn't interrupt Britta from singing, so she gets to sing, and they finally all get to just dance around to Roxanne, and everything pays off. Everything works perfectly, the timing mm-hmm. of everything works perfectly, and he just goes and gets, gets a pizza, which he should anyway. As he does hit his head group. in that one, but oh, instead of, of right. being comforted, everybody just goes, ha-ha, karma. Oh, you're right, I totally And then he that. just shakes it off, which goes to show he wasn't ever really hurt, and in all the other ones, everybody sorts of dotes on him. But in this one, they're just sort of like, yeah, it serves you right. That's true. And, and Annie actually is the off. one who says karma. I mean, this is kind of, we th- we thought of it because it's kind of a moving in episode. And um, we're in the process of moving apartment-wise. So let's think about the first show we watched, Don't Trust the Bee. I'm yeah. trying to find the connections. I know. I think apartments are is the connection. Because yeah. It it really rings true when when June's talking about like I've been I've been surviving on a bag of potatoes I found behind the Chinese <laughs> restaurant. It's the thing is I've always liked to work freelance because I always like to work on different projects and I I hate working on you know a nine to five job on just one thing every day it's monotonous. So I've always worked freelance and sometimes when you work freelance, you're broke. It's uh, there's good times and there's bad times. There were times when I would buy a sack of rice in the cheapest, like a $1.99 a pound chicken, and I would just have chicken and rice every day for weeks. And and all the side projects, uh, all the, the all the gigs that they, they get into are super funny. Yeah, very relatable. Yeah, this idea. It's very freelance life, you know. It's also, it's more fun when you're in your 20s. <laughs> not as funny when you're in your 40s and mm-hmm. still scraping by on freelance money yeah the side gigs the making jam the the camming the fetish stuff which which seemed really primitive almost yeah like, definitely like i made a fetish site and it looks like a geo cities like it just looks like something slapped together whereas now we have a well-known household name level social media sex platform basically sure OnlyFans is also a job for some people. Gig work, it's uh, it's it's uh, it's something. It's it's a reality of our our economy now, and it's mm-hmm. not necessarily a bad thing. I think it's easier to do now. I think people have more f- freedom, in a way, mm. because of inflation has gone up and wages have not over the past thirty years. In a way, it was a lot easier for our parents' generations because. You could earn a living with making thirty bucks an hour or something like that. Mm-hmm. These days, in my dad's day, you could earn a living in, in a eight to four, nine to five job easily. These days, wages are much lower and people have to work harder. But the gig economy is—it does afford people the freedom to not work for a giant corporation as a middle manager if they would rather drive Lyft. Sure, different choices. Both of these shows 
both shows are about sort of misfit characters who are down on their luck and not not yeah. great community the whole concept of community is you know i went to community college myself they're all um, Gle- greendale because they fucked up exactly you know annie and troy are attending community college right after high school so they're sort of the central college students I didn't mean to say they fucked up right after you said I went to community college. Oh no no no! no. I no, didn't mean I, to I infer that you you fucked up, but but they do say it in one episode of Community. We're all here for a reason. Something went yeah not according to plan. Yeah, it's not I mean, necessarily fucked up. I mean, it, it's where y- your path takes you, and sometimes. It's but definitely, like, yeah, Britta and Jeff are both depicted as people who like made specifically bad choices that have sort of landed them in their circumstances not jeff is not always broke but sometimes he is there's an episode where he lives out of his car briefly and then moves in to abed's dorm Mm -hmm. (laughs) britta says that she dropped out of high school because she thought it would impress radiohead Mm -hmm. i didn't remember that (laughs) annie had uh, an addiction to pills yeah in high school Uh, troy faked a keg stand injury (laughs) oh because he didn't want to he didn't want to play football anymore Abed, of course, starts out um, very sheltered with a very controlling father who doesn't want to let him study film. Uh, and he's like completely under his family's thumb. And Yeah. Uh, so he's actually the one who's on the path he wants to be on. He, he is mm-hmm. he's finagled this situation where he can be he can study film and mm-hmm. storytelling and human nature while everyone else is sort of like <laughs> floundering and try to trying to repair their lives yeah that's true he's 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 the james vanderbeek of the show you might say (laughs) no i don't know about that but wait but how do um why is chloe so down on her luck as a character like well she's not really she just drinks she buys expensive clothes she spends Mm -hmm. money she's like a socialite page six right uh she parties constantly She's not really down on her luck. She doesn't doesn't work. Okay. And she the only way she makes money is by scamming through <laughs> life. And right. people give her money because she's gorgeous and she has sex with a lot of people. Money just kind of comes to her. Okay. A true chaotic neutral. Like, no, I wouldn't even say maybe neutral, maybe chaotic evil almost. Oh. She's not truly evil, but she doesn't care if she's good either. Yeah. Um. That's funny. June is lawful good mm-hmm. but she's learning from chloe and that's why the two of them are great together because june reigns in chloe a little bit but chloe teaches her that old sitcom trope we we both learned a lesson i'm i'm trying to think if there's I- any deeper like uh metaphysical level to don't trust well, the beef i think every apartment is like its own little timeline in a, in a building, isn't it? <laughs> it is about choices. It's it's about choices we make. And I think it can be really scary because every choice we make, in a way, directs the rest of our lives. Even if we decide to turn right or left or wait for the walk signal or Absolutely. go or something. And that goes back to many worlds theory, which, which does not, by the way, say that when you roll a die, there's six timelines. Mm-hmm. Nor does it say when you flip a coin, there's two p- timelines. Mm-mm. What many worlds theory of quantum mechanics says is that each, it's much worse than just six timelines. It's like billions of timelines are sprouting all the time from right. the interactions of like elementary particles such as photons 
which can jump to different places and there's a wave function that determines where a photon can jump like mm -hmm. it's light a photon is light so it can jump from the sun to your eye right mm -hmm. but that photon also could have landed on this table and not my eye or it could have landed over here right and according to the wave function there's a probability of where it will land it might be my eye or it might be my forehead and when it quote-unquote decides when the photon lands the wave function collapses but all those other places that could have gone are a different timeline mm. so it's not just that when you flip a coin there's two timelines it's that when a photon leaves the sun there's a billion timelines and there's a billion photons a second so it's not just a couple timelines it's according yeah. to this theory it's every possible outcome of that photon is a different timeline mm -hmm. and it's almost infinite it's like infinite timelines are sprouting all the time now i don't actually believe that i think i believe more in the prime timeline theory mm -hmm. in the sense that that photon could have gone somewhere else but it didn't it decided to hit my eye and this is the timeline that is real because mm -hmm. it's the timeline where the wave function collapsed to that point Hmm. You're saying that made me curious as to what chaos theory means. Sure. Because I, oh, I've I'd never really about thought that. about it. And it's, uh, it's an interdisciplinary area focused on underlying patterns and deterministic laws of dynamical systems that are yes. highly sensitive to initial conditions. Right. And were once thought to have completely random states of disorder and irregularities. So I love this for just what it means for Abed and how he's constantly studying apparently random things but he's he believes that he can predict everyone's behavior and yes you know later in the series we see an episode where he runs simulations of the other characters this is the mm -hmm. jeff goldblum putting a a, a drop of water on his knuckle um, <laughs> if you ever wondered why jeff goldblum put a drop of water on his knuckle it's be oh wait didn't he put it on her knuckle and the whole point was that he was trying to hold he was holding her hand oh yeah maybe Right over there, I have a book called Chaos by James Gleick, by the way. Oh. And it's really great. It's a great explanation of chaos theory. And so chaos theory is sort of like, with the butterfly effect, what you might have heard is a butterfly flaps its wings in Manhattan and there's a typhoon in China. Mm -hmm. Now, that doesn't literally mean that the butterfly caused a typhoon. What it means is, Every, you know, particle of air that's around us, you know, all these little oxygen and nitrogen particles in the air are bouncing around mm -hmm. and they bounce off of each other. And if you just move one of them, if you move one atom of oxygen from here to here, then it hits 10 more and it hits 10 more and it hits 10 more. And th that ripples out and it affects every single atom on Earth. So basically, mm. it's not that you've changed, well, you, you have, but we're always constantly moving around and we're changing where atoms are. Right. Like by waving my hand, I'm changing where atoms are. It doesn't mean I'm creating typhoons, but it means something different is going to happen next week if I do this than if I do this. Mm. And we can never see what the alternative was, but we know that with these the, like atoms in the air, like I said, one hits 10 more and it hits 10 more and it hits 10 more. Pretty, mo pretty soon, it's interacted with every single atom in the atmosphere. So 
It basically means we, we can't predict the weather very well past a week from now because butterflies flap their wings and they fuck it all up. <laughs> it just means that when one atom is di- displaced, it ripples out to the entire world. So that's chaos. That's unpredictability. That's like to predict the weather hmm. for weeks in advance, you would have to map where every single atom is. And then you would have to map every movement of every hand and every butterfly wing and every housefly in the entire planet. And that's why we can't predict the weather very hmm. Wow. past like a, a week or two. Devs is another TV show, the one with Nick mm-hmm. Offerman, mm-hmm. where they create a quantum computer that does that. It basically maps every single atom on Earth and it follows them. And then it can start predicting the future because mm-hmm. it's basically... It has mapped the chaos, and it is like, it's just predicting. It's just running a simulation of our exact world into the future. Mm. That's a great show. That's interesting. I sometimes think of your background being in uh, the cold sciences and mine being in sort of the warm sciences. That's just a joke. Yours, of course, are the hard sciences, the real ones, and I've, I've, I was trained in soft sciences, which are just bullshit. Analytic. But um. But the no, but I think it, it makes the me th- passion science. Well, actually, it makes me think of biology versus what you're talking about physics, <laughs> mm-hmm. because in biology, there's in evolution, Meteorology. There's <laughs> in evolution, there's something called genetic drift, sure, which is the accounting for random chance in evolution. It's chaos driven in a, in a way, yeah. Yeah, evolution is gene frequency in populations over time. That's all it means. Yeah, and genetic drift is you know is, is stuff like uh, a landslide that kills all the blonde <laughs> rats in this one area, or whatever. It's like, oh, whoops! It's just a way of. Oh, you mean it's like a a it's non a non successful. Uh, genes are sometimes like less frequent over time because something random happened to wipe them out, like a maybe. Yeah, yeah I think yeah. a bottleneck event is also considered like genetic drift. I'm not sure. I I just think of it with genetic drift is a is an interesting term and it makes me think of atoms bumping each other and uh genes bumping each other yeah because it it, it's it happens sort of randomly but then yeah there is by success i don't mean good or bad but there is a success rate of genes that are able to copy themselves successfully into new generations at a high high rate and you know there's there's events that happen such as there was a white moth have you heard heard this story? There was a white moth in England mm-hmm. in an ind- industrial area. And the the moth, over very few generations, over just a few years, turned black. Mm-hmm. And that's it's because some were randomly darker and then they were more successful because, because they could be camouflaged in the new darker trees. Yeah. I mean, if you painted the trees bra- uh, brown or blue or green, the, the moths might turn that eventually too sure that's adaptation yeah that's adaptation which is written by charlie kaufman (laughs) i guess we all have to adapt to the circumstances of life yeah but i think one of the (laughs) things we could take from the chaos is i think you can use that to try not to be so afraid of choices Mm. because your every choice changes things you when you wave your hand like a butterfly it changes things, but you don't know what you're changing. Mm-hmm. You can only know what's coming. So in in a sense, you know, I'm not saying just 
make crazy choices but at, at certain some certain point if you're like i don't know if i should do this or not you should just do it because um you know chaos baby <laughs> 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 take the plunge like you you know go into the unknown yeah mm-hmm. like move if you're feeling uh <laughs> like you need a change in your life i, I think there's a point where y- you can take solace in the physics of randomness and chaos and mm-hmm. just be like you know what i could get hit by a bus in my living room totally <laughs> tomorrow and your jeans would just drift away no, not because you didn't adapt right just because <laughs> it just not happened. those those really thick levi's jeans though those those would survive the bus crash not the beak jeans <laughs> not the beak <laughs> your beak jeans. beak jeans oh i didn't even say that in will the not podcast. drift away james vanderbeek's line of jeans is called beak jeans yeah. Also, there's this whole subplot where there is a <laughs> there's a billboard of him wearing his tight jeans facing away from camera, and then another billboard juxtaposed so that it looked like there was a pizza guy looking at his crotch and saying meatballs. <laughs> so mm. I guess I'm I, I guess timelines and chaos theory. It's kind of about taking the life as it comes at you. <laughs> <laughs> in a way you know he imagines how things could be differently but they're not mm-hmm. in, in 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 my in my reading of course there's no one one reading of it but in in my favorite reading abed's just imagining how things might change and mm. it, it, you know anxiety and this is comes from what you were saying sure um the anxiety of change or what might happen but he kind of just takes control and he's like you know I'm going to make a decision, not let it up to chance and just see what happens. Totally. You know, we never even got into the text messages or any of the oh. seed of the uh, the episode. I don't know if you uh, if we should do a little. Jeez. Yeah. One of the reasons we it. picked we, we wanted to talk about this was because um, Royland um, did some bad stuff and um, we didn't talk about it in our Rick and Morty episode because this just came out after we t- did the Rick and Morty episode. If, yeah, it's it's interesting to me. The whole idea, I don't like to say the word cancel culture because it plays into the right-wing meme that it actually exists. But like I said in the forward that we did a couple of weeks ago, cancel culture is not a real thing. It's, it's a joke that happened when somebody started you know, comparing themselves to a TV network and basically saying, I don't like you anymore. I'm canceling you mm-hmm. as if they were a show. It's like if I was a network, I'd be canceling you. What it means is I'm not a fan of you anymore. Mm-hmm. There is no cancel culture. There is a fan culture, and there should be. Basically what the right wing is saying it, it, what, by trying to stop f- cancel culture is you have to be a fans of us. And if you don't, you're canceling us, and that's wrong. You have to be our fans. But we don't have to be anyone's fan. And it gets complicated. I was a fan of Bill Cosby in the 80s. Mm-hmm. I've been a fan of Chappelle and, and, and Louis C.K. most of my life. And, and I'm still sure. not not a fan of those guys, but um, also less a fan than I used to be. Sure. I'm not a fan of Royland anymore. I think he, some of the stuff he said was really gross, including uh, uh, one uh, young woman in the comedy community I know who he sent some really gross things to. It doesn't yeah. mean he's canceled. It means I, he lost my fandom. And you know what most importantly is? He lost the fandom of the people who were employing him. Mm-hmm. The people who were paying his paycheck. There's no canceling. 
the people who are paying his paycheck aren't fans of him anymore, so they're not paying him. They decided mm. not to pay him anymore. Same yeah. thing happened with that Gina, whatever lady from the yeah. Mandalorian. It's not that she's been canceled. It's that she lost a lot of us as fans, including the people who are paying her paycheck. Mm. And I think that's what gets lost in the discussion and people freak out and they say, you can't cancel blah, blah, blah. But it's also interesting to me, uh, there's, you know, there's still levels of fandom and there's levels of egregiousness, mm-hmm. you know, right? We thought about this episode because Dan Harmon was called out for verbally abusive and sexually aggressive behavior towards one of his writers, Megan Gantz, who wrote this episode of Community. Mm -hmm. And, you know, to his credit, he did the things you're supposed to do when you fuck up. He said he was sorry. He talked about Mm -hmm. how he had he understands he did wrong and how he's made steps to not do it again and to atone. And I think mm-hmm. that's important. Now, some things you can't, you can't atone, Cosby can't atone for right. raping 42 X how yeah. many women. And Royland probably can't atone for beating up his girlfriend or mm-hmm. whatever else he did, which will probably come out yeah. at some point. And the important thing being that Megan Gantz has come out saying that she forgave him. Yeah. I think that's. In a way, like, a, you know, not like you're good, dude, but sort of like, okay, I don't hate you. Yeah. To her credit and to his. Although so, she definitely yeah. was well within her rights not to forgive him, but yeah. I'm glad they, they made up. She said that she felt vindicated by his uh, apology. She eventually said that. So in honor of Megan Gans, who I think we you know, can all agree is probably the strongest writer on many shows <laughs> that she's on. Yeah. Uh, she's a very strong writer. She writes for It's Always Sunny. She's written a few Modern Families. Mm-hmm. Lots of stuff, but sometime after Remedial Chaos Theory was already considered a classic episode, Dan Harmon posted uh, these text exchanges between himself and Megan Gans developing the episode together. And uh, there's no, like, underhanded, these were not leaked. He didn't have to post them. He was literally like, hey, guys, check this out. These are the texts where we came up with this great idea that we all, that you guys love. Thank you so much for supporting us. And Megan's a great writer. He was clearly, like, giving her credit. But I think, you know, I think... Reading the text, it gives her a lot of credit because Dan's pitch to her is run, Lola, run episode. Booyah, done. Yeah, um, it's great been a idea. Wh- it's been a while since I saw run, Lola, run, but... It keeps rewinding and restarting and, and um, different things happen depending on... Um, and, and there is a game of chance that there's like a roulette wheel. Oh, okay. Depending yeah. on where the roulette wheel lands, uh, it resets. And she has to make... Uh, again, she has to make some money. I mean, I don't think it's for rent. <laughs> I think it's for <laughs> something more serious. I yeah. forgot. She's literally running all over a city, and it's badass techno music. It's awesome. <laughs> you can really see the seeds of, of the episode in in just that idea of doing an homage to Run Lola Run would be would have a lot of the same elements, I think. But so he says that he thinks it has something to do with video games and something to do with the concept of a character saving their place and going back. Uh, Megan Gann says... Like that video game Jake Gyllenhaal played uh, it, the movie version, but the, it was called uh, Prince of... Prince of Persia. Persia. Yes! And you could you, you could, could save your place, and if you died, you could go back. That was a beautiful There's game. There's also Rick and Morty like that, but l- as you mentioned... Um, uh, yeah, yeah. There was la- there's later a, a whole Morty plot with a place-saving device. So Megan Gann's response to that idea by saying could you split it between three characters and have each one do the run their own way 
And by the run, she just means like the sequence of events, whatever it is. Some sequence of events. Which Dan has to mansplain to her what she meant. <laughs> He's like, well, it's not exactly the running that we would emulate, but maybe we would just be like a sequence thing. And she's like, yeah, I'm, I, yeah, that's what it meant. Which, which just, it's so irrelatable to read another woman's text saying, yeah, that's what I meant by, you know, just like, just gritting your teeth and trying to be polite to some guy who just is like, Okay. Misread In his you. defense, I could <laughs> I could see his misreading. I get of, it. I get when it. she said run. Uh, anyway, so she then says, for example, like what if Abed asked Troy to help him do something versus if he asked Britta? So yeah, that's kind of the nugget of the episode, and you know, then they from there they they just develop it together with you know discussing like how could you get to the place where you rewind time and maybe it's a board game, maybe there's randomness. Megan Gann says pizza guy, you know, and everything is yeah. She she really fleshed out forms it. It's a it's a great look into how a really nicely put together episode starts because especially for shows that take on a sci-fi trope you could go groundhog day and then Mm -hmm. you know how can we take that movie and fit it into our characters run lower run how can we take that movie and fit it into our characters star wars you know they did paintball star wars it's almost pop eating itself but pop is self-referential and if you can tell a new story with new characters and make reference to you know some sort of trope that we like Mm -hmm. that's that's a win it's also really nice to see two smart people hashing out a really fun idea together and see it form in those texts okay all right is that enough hashtag cancel culture talk i think so what have we learned today what have we learned today? Don't play Yahtzee with trolls. Don't give your jam to your neighbors. Don't rely on random chance. Just flap your butterfly. That about sums it up. Flap of your butterfly wings. As Elton John said, you're a butterfly and butterflies are free to fly. Bullet fly with away. butterfly wings, as Billy uh, Corgan said. I am still just a rat in a cage. <laughs> yeah, maybe that's what this is all about, us being rats in a cage. That reminds us we got to go feed those rats in the cage downstairs. Oh, yeah, we have all those rats in cages. This has been BDFM. You can find us at BDFM Pod on most things, Instagram, yeah. mm-hmm. Twitter, twit. Instagram, Patreons, Garage TV. Uh, you can use Google and type it in. You can watch the watch-alongs on Patreon or on Garage TV. Garage TV. Download the Garage TV app. You can follow us if you see us walking down the street. <laughs> Walk on by. For BDFM, I'm D. I am B. And FM, as always, stands for... Funky Monkey. (laughs) That's right. It always does. Thanks, Kevin. BDFM. In one timeline, Kevin exists.